Hello and welcome to Superposition, the show where we examine multiple perspectives on each topic. I'm your host, Hanson. I'm the other host, Seed. In this episode, we sit down with our good friend Scott and his wife Rita, who is an American educator. We discuss education systems in the US and in China, and how the school systems and family education shaped our worldviews. With the new insights into both systems, we'll dive into what might be the future of education in the age of technology and globalization. Enjoy the show. My name is Scott. Uh, I work at Clavio on the success engineering team. Uh, interests outside of work, uh, primarily outdoor related activities, running, biking, skiing, canoeing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got to know Scott uh, at work, obviously, but uh, you, you guys cannot see his face, but he's a very handsome man uh, and very fit. I, I can attest to that. He is. Yes. He's and, been uh, telling me that for the past two weeks. Um, it's all he hands, talks hands about. Hands off, Seed. Hands off. <laughs> yeah. You should and... see his text messages to me. Oh, boy. <laughs> Damning evidence. <laughs> yes. well, uh, I don't know. Rita here, Rita here um, is, is Scott's beautiful wife. Um, oh, I'll see. Why don't we have an introduction of Rita as well? Yes. Hi, everybody. I'm Rita, um, Scott's beautiful wife. I like that. Um, <laughs> I am, in terms of interests, Scott's are mostly outside. Mine are mostly inside interests, uh, wise reading, uh, watching crime documentaries. Um, I tried knitting, but we gave up. Uh, we can always restart that. And in terms of my job, I work at an education nonprofit. Uh, I was a former high school teacher and uh, got my master's in policy, education policy. And now I work uh, primarily in communications, working on a website to help educators translate research for practice so that they know what the best practices are for student-centered learning. Nice. Uh, and I think you studied... Um, education policy at Harvard, right? At the Harvard. grad school of education there. Yep. Nice. Yep. Cool. Thanks for being here. I want the conversation to be very free flow, um, but the general outline for today is to have a brief overview of both education systems, US and China. Then with the new insights into uh, both systems, we want to dive a little deeper into questions such as what is the purpose of education? And more importantly, what might the future of education look like? So why don't we start with Hansen giving us a brief overview of the Chinese education system before college? Sure. Um, so quick disclaimer, right? This is my personal experience. It may or may not represent you know, the entire Chinese education system. And uh, in fact, I know that there's been a lot of reforms that's been happening throughout you know, the process of me growing up, um, things have changed over the years. So this is a snapshot. Uh, I would say early education began with, I guess that would be considered daycare. I'm not sure if it's an exact equivalent. Um, I went to a place that's called an experimental daycare. 
also my grade school is called an experimental grade school. It's like a big thing in China. I think uh, see, you may have seen some of those. So the experimental daycare was quote experimental in that they were trialing uh, new education methods and materials. So for my generation, this was back in the early nineties or mid nineties. Uh, it was teaching kids uh, the English alphabet at a very young age. That was like, you know, three or four. Uh, and teaching us the basics of using a computer and like basic computer programming concepts, um, you know, at age three through five. So I distinctly remember uh, there was a basically a computer screen, a really, really old computer. I don't think it was even running like a graphical user interface back then. Um, and you could select like an object. You could choose like a plane or UFO, uh, a bus or something, and then you can choose a path you know, like a straight line, a squiggly line, and then you could choose any combination and you can see the little graphic move. Uh, mm. You can change what it is and mm. how it moves to kind of teach you the concept of, I don't know, how programs come together if you just give it the inputs. Um, yeah, so ages three through five was like the experimental daycare period. Uh, so my parents would drop me off there every day um, and go home at night. Uh, ages six through 12, uh, that was grade school. So, uh, first grade through sixth grade. Um, yeah, it was an experimental school in that I think they taught like foreign language at an earlier age. So I restarted learning English at like, I don't know, at nine, I think, uh, when mm -hmm. they started teaching again, uh, and then seventh through 10th grade, wait, seventh through ninth grade. So three more years, that's ages, what, um, 12 through 15, something like that, yeah. uh, is like middle school. Um, so in Chinese, it's kind of called the like lower middle school, if you will. And like high school is like the higher middle school. So it's um, ages 12 through 15, lower middle school, ages 16 through 18, higher middle school. And then you go off to college at 18. So from what I've heard, it mostly syncs up with the US at the end. You know, yeah. uh, by the time you turn 18, you're ready to go to college. Yeah. Um, and official schooling starts at six. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a thing called Jiu uh, which is essentially, the, uh, I guess, K. So in US, there's K-12, right? So yep. it's essentially, uh, I guess, K-9. It's, it's, it's nine years. So from uh, elementary school or grade school all the way to, uh, I think, end of middle school is essentially what's required. Uh, everybody should attend. Uh, and it's free in the sense that there's no tuition fee for public schools. So I think there's something similar in the U.S. as well. Um, at some point during high school, you're asked to split. I don't know if that happens anymore. I, I keep hearing rumors that's, that it's being changed and canceled. Yeah. But back in my generation, sounded like an old person. Um, when, you, when you got to a certain grade, I think in uh, 10th or 11th grade, you're yeah. asked to pick whether you want to go with the sort of right. liberal arts route or the like scientific route. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And it, each route comes with sort of different, um, elective courses, if you will, but they're all like required. You just pick one package or the other. Is it truly a choice or is it, you know, uh, depending on scores or other circumstances? Uh, as far as I know, it's truly a choice. Uh, so like people just pick, um, obviously there's going to be pressures from like what your parents think you should do or what you're good at. Uh, but it's a choice. Yep. So if you go with a scientific route, if you will, um, you get deeper into physics, chemistry, and biology. If you go with the 
you know, literature or liberal arts route, uh, you get into, I think it's politics, history, and what was the other uh, one? Geology, I think. Geography, Geologies. maybe? Ge Ooh. Yes. Geography. That would have been Sociology. a tough choice. That would have been a very tough choice. <laughs> yeah. Scott, yeah, Scott would, would straddle both of those. As soon as they put the geography and the liberal arts side of things that, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's a very uh, good point to bring up. Um, there is some revolution going on, but I think that's still mostly true. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess one, one more thing on, on top of that is uh, there are still common subjects you have to, you're required to do, no matter what you choose. Things like Chinese, I think also English, actually, uh, and also um, math. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are the things you have to study anyways. Uh, I think for math, there's probably different standards, but uh, it's the required subject. Um, mm -hmm. Cool. Thanks for that overview. Um, so Rita, do you mind give us a quick introduction into the K-12 system in the United States? You have uh, elementary school, which will be pre-K, uh, so that might be when you're four, because kindergarten will be when you're five, pre-K okay. to about fifth or sixth grade, depends on the district, um, okay. or seventh grade even. And then you'll have a middle school, okay. uh, which could be five, six, seven, eight, could be six, okay. seven, eight. Uh, and see. then you'll have high school, nine, 10, 11, and 12th grade before higher, before you are going to college or career. So now we have a basic understanding of, uh, both education systems. Let's dig into something, uh, spicier. So what role do parents play in your education? You oh. kind of touched upon this already, right? Uh-oh. Um, and uh, <laughs> That's a question. Just, right. So like <laughs> uh, from my experience, the Chinese parents are very involved. So why don't we start with Hanson? What does your experience look like? Good question. Um, I'd say I don't know how much of this is a function of the one-child policy and all, right? But like growing up, I was the center of everything. Right. My parents, um, both pairs, my grandparents, uh, you know, are very focused on me. So yeah. for the better or worse, there was a lot of attention paid to my education. Um, for example, like exposing me to, to music, right. Picking out an, an instrument happens to be the accordion for whatever reason. Apparently it's not a mainstream pick, but I didn't realize I that as a kid. I um, I, I'm glad I learned it. It's, uh, yeah. it's given me a good foundation. Um, and also just a lot of time spent, um, putting you through the best school possible, uh, as well as the best extracurricular, um, you know, training and test prep that you could get. So my parents are pretty hands-on, I would say. Um, in, in the case of with my parents, uh, my mom is a little bit more strict. Like she pretty much has a vision of like what she wants my education to be like. So she right. applies pressure, obviously. Um, yeah. From a young age, she's been trying to cultivate an interest in science and math and these things because right. I think she has a view that liberal arts aren't as good uh, or she's not useful. the only one with that view. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. And <laughs> she's like, Hey, for my son, I don't want him to be, you know, uh, an artist or something like that. Uh, sure. She has a vision for, mm -hmm. for what that should look like. I believe um, my dad is a, a lot more, he likes to say he's very democratic, democratic. I don't know if that's right. Use the word, but he lets me make my own decisions. Um, so there's a transition. So when I was very little, all the decisions are more or less made for me. Uh, but I think past like age, I think eight or nine, uh, my parents started, especially my dad started asking me like, Hey, 
do you want to do this? So there's, I would say, a pressure to do things, but a not, right. not like, hey, we will overrule your own choice on in mm. what you want to do. Mm -hmm. mm. Interesting. Yeah, I think I do agree. I do observe a trend where the Chinese parents are becoming more liberal when it comes to making decisions for their children. To answer this question myself, um, my parents, especially my dad, definitely play a huge role in my education growing up. I was told that even before I was born, uh, every night my father would read uh, Chinese poems to the pr my pregnant mother. <laughs> every single night. And uh, I think before I was five or four, um, I was able to recite like more than 300 Chinese traditional poems. And to this date, I still enjoy reading those poems. Uh, I sometimes write them myself. Oh, and I should have mentioned that my father is an educator himself. Um, I struggled a lot during middle school. I remembered my parents just moved to a new city, so it was a new city for me when I entered uh, middle school. I struggled a lot uh, academically because it was a much more competitive school compared to my old school. And um, I also was not finding any friends because I was two years younger than anybody else uh, in the class. Um, so I was really dejected, uh, both from the, uh, from the teachers. The teachers were pretty strict and I wasn't doing well academically and I wasn't able to find any friends. I think luckily I had my father to guide me through the troubled times. Um, he was really an ally when it comes to defending me f uh, from the criticism of the teachers, from the teachers. I never lost confidence myself thanks to him and I bounced back really hard during high school and college um, I fully acknowledge that I'm probably anomaly here since uh, I was lucky to have an educator as my father and I had access to a lot of resources that normal people won't have at the risk of generalizing too much uh, I think based on both my experience and Hans's experience it's safe to conclude that Chinese parents are very involved and value their kids' education above a lot of other things. So how about in the States? Do your parents play a huge part in your education as well, uh, Rita and Scott? Sure. I, I have a slightly different experience, I think, than Scott because my parents are immigrants. Mm. And so... Interesting. And uh, Soviet Jewish immigrants is an important parameter here because if you think about mm. when they grew up they were both born in the 50s so this is post world war ii but their folks their parents were world war ii era soviet jews mm. so if you think about trauma and anxiety and kind of uh sort of the narrative of survival and what right. you have to do to push out of you know kind of the the world is heinous, you know, as opposed to I, I, my father and I never agree on anything because his view is very much people are inherently bad and you have to control that. And I grew ah, up, you know, in a privileged, you know, place, a uh, more liberal view of, right. no, you know, people are good. They want to be good. And the incentives are wrong when they, you know, and that's why they act out. Um, and so we, my, my parents were 
you know, I always, this is going to, this is a joke, but it's a real joke. I always got along with the Asian students in my school and I had a, my best friend was Indian and my sister's best friend was Thai because we had parents that were similar in, Uh. in how they were like academics, curfew, get home, where were you? Like just strict, just strict parents. Uh, And so always, I always related to like Asian people at my school and there weren't many of us like either immigrant student. I mean, it was mostly a white Christian school in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, my parents moved us out there because my mom was a doctor and she was working in a hospital that was in kind of bumblefuck Illinois. So we right. were, you know, we were further from the before. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's a, there's a few of them. <laughs> um, and my parents, you know, were Jewish immigrants. So they had lived closer to the city. And then as I got older and I went to high school, I went to a different high school than my sister, who's nine years older than I am because they kind of kept moving out towards a more kind of homogenous population. Um, hmm. And so uh, for me, my parents, definitely played an outsized role. And I would say it came from anxiety uh, of, you know, if you don't succeed, you'll be in a gutter. Uh, And if you, you know, and I I thought I wanted to be a broadcast journalist because I was really good at radio. And Mm. I thought maybe I want to be a news anchor, uh, a journalist of some kind. And my mom was like, "Eh, you know, you, that's so competitive. And there's just a great chance that you'll end up not, not being able to do that. So think about other, other routes. And of course I thought, Oh, well, I love English. I love reading and I love my high school teachers. So I ended up going to school uh, specifically to be a high school teacher. So they absolutely played, you know, I think there's a lot of us that should go to therapy, me included in terms of how much we internalized our own parents' anxiety and trauma that came from a very real place, a very historically real place, but one that I really never understood except for how they told it to me, you know, through that funnel. Um, They're wonderful people. They're kind, they're generous with what they have, but they have a running kind of deep belief that, everything can be snatched from them at any moment. Right. Yeah, I think what you said really resonated with me. Uh, like when you said, your parents believe that people are inherently bad, especially under extreme conditions, and you believe people are uh, good, uh, are kind. This really reminded me of a recent conversation I had with my father, where I told him that... Um, I'm very free-spirited when it comes to making decisions. And he said something really uh, touched me. He said, that's good because all the hard work I did is to make you have the privilege to be free-spirited. So you don't have to hold the belief that everybody is going to come out and get you. Uh, but that's only because uh, he worked hard. And mm-hmm. that's, I think that's largely true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents have not graduated to that belief yet, Uh, (laughs) but I would hope someday, you know, maybe with their therapy as well, they can see that they, you know, and that's, and you're right, that's, it's interesting that they say they're so proud of, you know, my sister and I, and we have everything we need, but they, it, it, it doesn't necessarily go, doesn't go one more step to say, make all your own choices and do exactly what you want because we did that for you. It's still, wait a second, you, you can't, right. you still can't do exactly what you want. We know yeah, that we've yeah. given you way more than we had, but right. uh, don't, don't, you know, don't screw it up. That actually reminds me of something my dad often says to me, some version of this story. Um, the way I think he sees education of, you know, his own child uh, is to manage the, the child as if he's a product, if you will, mm. right? 
so the story he likes to tell is if you look at farm animals that aren't born to be useful until they've been trained, right, groomed to be useful. Uh, no horse was born ready to be like road, if you will, and no right. ox ready to plow. Um, and when you look at trees, he's like, look at all the gardeners you know, binding the trees with ropes and cutting off, uh, you know, certain branches. He basically thinks that every child is like a diamond in the rough and it must be, they must be managed and curated and, you know, um, I don't know what the right word is, but uh, made into something useful. Sculpted, right? That's a great word. So, and sometimes that sculpting is painful, right? I've had a decent amount of physical and verbal punishment growing up and they see that as a necessity. That if yep. you just didn't do anything to whip your kid into shape, yep. uh, then they would become useless. Mm-hmm. So that's, oh, yeah. I think, how uh, my parents see, even though they're on the liberal side and letting me make some decisions, uh, they can be pretty strict in a lot of other aspects. Right. Right. Interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. That's different yeah. from Scott's family, I'd say. Yeah. So I want to ask, uh, I bet that's a very different perspective, for, uh, right? Rita is an immigrant. Hans and I are Chinese. Yes. Uh, so uh yeah look like yeah we can we can put that next to rita's experience my parents grew up in the same town that i grew up in so other than when they spent four years uh in college themselves they've basically lived in the same town their entire lives uh so v- you know very familiar with everything uh, that was kind of going on uh, in the in the school system in the area. Um, they were, uh, I mean, similar to Hanson, I guess, similar to any any kid. Uh, they were, you know, making a lot of the decisions early on. Um, and I would say, I don't know, maybe around six, seven, eight years old. Uh, started to transition some of that decision-making to me, you know, if I didn't want to do certain Wait, activities. Seven years old? I don't know. Nine? I don't remember. <laughs> ten? Okay. I, I don't remember. Ten years old. Nice. We'll say ten. Nice round right. number. Uh, <laughs> you know, allowed me to decide, did I want to continue participating in this particular activity, sport, whatever it was. Um, there was, I, and that was to the degree that I had to do something it wasn't like, well, do you want to continue playing baseball or watch TV? It was, you don't want to play baseball. You have to go do something else. So there was, there was an expectation to uh, do something, but I had the opportunity to choose what it was. Um, and similar to, I guess, kind of school, there was an expectation that I would do well. Um, and as long as I did well, then you know, the, the consequences weren't, or there were, there wasn't additional intervention, um, I guess. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Scott was kind of, yeah, you so, were kind of left alone. I feel like your parents, I, when they felt like you were doing okay, they, they they don't, they did not act off their own. Like, yeah. If I met, if I met their expectations, there was not kind of additional, um, yeah, not additional, influence i guess yeah Yeah, or yeah yeah, additional oversight requirements yeah yeah so that's a very interesting so uh even within us i mean obviously uh for immigrants it's very different experience 
from for yes. their um, parents' enrollments in in the education. Uh, I want to ask a very personal question. So, <laughs> in in this regard, uh, what's their attitude towards dating at a younger age? Uh, oh, do they care against it? <laughs> against okay. it. I was a little like, flirt though. I got away with it. Okay. So like against it toward like when what's the well obviously nope uh, if you are like eight years old uh, you really shouldn't date anyone hopefully I, I don't know some parents I mean, not seriously I've seen videos of uh, <laughs> okay yeah little you know. girlfriends and boyfriends right right and parents are just like oh that's so adorable you know yeah <laughs> but Rita were your parents like against it just before college uh, no you know I college? I dated in high school so I shouldn't say that's that's very fair but. Again, it was sort of the the mindset of parents know best, and they know right. you're not mature enough. This is yeah. from their perspective that you're not mature enough. You don't you can't prioritize the things in your life well enough. Uh, boys are not to be trusted. Let's talk about people. Which you know, is very thinking, true. thinking yes. ill of people. It's like high school boys is a great easy group to. Uh, I was just to, the boys to, in general, but yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Right. I was being nice. I was being <laughs> yeah. nice on this call with with yeah. three males here. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, and so the, it was mostly, again, coming from you need to focus on school. You won't, you know, you, you cannot uh, get distracted right. uh, by people that will put you down or, you know, uh, will, will not uh, leverage your, uh, your potential like your parents will or your yeah. teachers will. Yeah. So, but I, I had, a, I met a few boyfriends in, in speech team. It did wonders for me. Uh, to be out there in different high schools. Wait, the wonders. Wait, that's okay. There's a lot of interpretations for, for that sentence. Like, in terms of what? Meaning, I met nice boys outside of my high school. I see. Um, I see. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Cool. How about Scott? I dated some people in high school. There, uh, my parents were. I don't know. I think expectations of what that meant obviously changed as as right kids get older um right so yeah you know eight-year-olds uh not dating but you know eight-year-olds having a friend are you know that's very different from somebody dating yeah. seriously or somewhat seriously you know towards the end of high school um but yeah i don't know my parents were do they f i guess do they fear um uh that it's kind of getting in the way of your education is my main question. Like, do they fear like if by getting a relationship, uh, you're going to spend more time uh, dating? Out Certainly. Out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's <laughs> sure. I, with, with anything though. Um, okay. Balance was important. Uh, right. Yeah. As with, but, as with anything else that could intrude or interfere. Right. But you would say like, it's not really something that's, uh, important for them. Like, it's just another thing that you need to balance with your education, right? Mm -hmm. It's not something they think should be forbidden. Uh, it's not way. like morally wrong to be right. dating someone when you're 15. Right. Would Correct. that be a fair that statement? Is, that is a fair statement yeah. from my perspective of my parents' right. perspective. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think in China, uh, obviously, it's when general, generalizing, but uh, in, my, in my experience, even for my father, who is pretty liberal, I think. Uh, like I brought my girlfriend back at home when I was like 18 years old or something and lived uh, in my apartment for a month. So they're pretty liberal. Um, but when I was younger, uh, my parents are very against dating. Um, they think it's something that 
it's just gonna wreck you <laughs> in terms, both in terms of emotion and also in terms of uh, education. And they think, mm -hmm. they almost think. I feel like nowadays, I think it makes some sense. Like you're essentially dating someone that uh, is working at the same place, right? It's not a. It's probably not a good thing. All right. There's a, there's a, right? That's why you gotta oh. date boys from other high schools. I'm telling <laughs> exactly. you, right. I found the loophole in that. Yeah, that's that's definitely my experience. Uh, I don't know what Hanson. Uh, I know yeah. Hanson probably dated around a lot, but you know. I don't know what, what would give you that impression. Uh, <laughs> Smooth talker. All right. Just it's all the mic. I actually, I just bring it around. I don't even talk to people in person. I'm like, here, put on these headphones. Nice. Um, so my experience, my parents are fairly strict. And um, the culture I grew up in, that part of China at least, I think most of China, we have a term called zaolian. Right. which means uh, premature dating, basically, or like early dating. Uh, generally, I think a line is drawn basically pre and post Gaokao. Right. Like if you were to date anyone before you take the college entrance exam, uh, it's a very sensitive topic. Um, mm. I'll give you an example. I dated someone in high school and I was one of the top students in the class just because I was good at taking tests, I suppose. Uh, but she was not. Right. She was doing OK. But after we started dating, her her grades took a turn for the worse. And, you know, she's had to have conversations with our teacher and her parents about managing her like lifestyle. And uh, it was a very big stressor that we were in a relationship. And it was generally very secret when people were in relationships. They don't hold hands in public. Mm -hmm. um, wow. You basically hear rumors that these two people are uh, into each other, but it's right barely public. I've never seen two people kiss, kiss each other or hug each other in public. Right. Oh, wow. Uh, in, yeah, in no, high school. high school. Wow. No, people right. were making out. If you get caught blockers. doing that, yeah, you'll, uh, you'll get in some trouble. Like your yeah. teachers will have some words for, with your parents. Yeah, some Mix. people might get expelled if, if it's something serious. Not mm -hmm. by kissing, but if you're... Like, if you were to like go have sex in yeah. high school, yeah, um, exactly. that's a very serious uh, thing. Wow. Yeah. It's, it, and it's that's something I think a little unheard of in terms of just like the school system being able to uh, have a judgment on your yeah. dating life. That's right. not a very American thing, right? That's one yeah. institution imposing where it has, where we would say no business imposing. The institution mm -hmm. that imposes appropriately in that moment is the family. So the family has rules. Right. You live by those rules. The school really can't say to you or even put a value judgment on dating or not dating. Everyone judges you in school and you get talked <laughs> about and there's gossip, <laughs> right. but the school can't, has no business, you know, yeah. being in your yeah. business that way. I mean, there is uh, sex education uh, in high school, but it's still conducted in a very tough way. Uh, I was oh, very clinical. This distinctively. Yeah, I remember this very, very distinctively that when, um, when, <laughs> when the teacher is talking about the lady parts, uh, the lady that's parts. A, that, that's is that a, what you call them now? I don't know if that's a politically correct word, but yeah, the, all the boys are asked to leave the classroom for ten minutes in high school. Uh, <laughs> that's that's very funny. Uh, I still remember that. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the American schools are the same way. If we want to talk about okay. sex ed, we're we're talking. I mean, again, state by state. Some states are abstinence only still, so they're teaching. You know, you're not having sex, so. And they have a higher right. teenage pregnancy rate. Oh, yeah. It never general. works. It's like <laughs> right? dare. It's yeah. like dare coming to your schools. And then all of a sudden you get, you know, kids know about drugs. So they're going to go try them. <laughs> it's it's interesting to. Yes, it's this idea of, uh, yeah, being just denying 
denying how hormones and bodies and teenagers work uh, to believe that everyone can be abstinent. And then, yes, teen pregnancies are higher in those states. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming abortions and other things that go along with, um, with uh, you know, unhealthy relationships or people who don't know uh, what they're doing or how to protect themselves will come from that too, right? If you don't teach protection, yeah. what, what are you opening up for right. young people? So, Right. Yeah. So, yeah, Scott, we're just talking about sex is forbidden pretty much in Chinese high school. So, uh, you know. Sounds like Alabama. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, last thing I want to say is uh, on this topic is I think it's also in a larger context, right? Like sex is just some, something more tabooed in, in China or even in Asian countries, I think, compared to uh, Western countries. So that's, that's also under a larger context here. Mm-hmm. My, my understanding is that I, I don't know how we got to sex, but uh, my understanding is that <laughs> because, there's been... come on. Right. Western it's liberalism, uh, there's been a lot more... Um, freedom around talking about sex in public and expressing different attitudes towards sex and including now sexual sexual orientation and a lot of talk around gender. Um, my understanding is that it's really happened in the past few decades. Like it used to be more hush-hush in the West as well. I don't know if that's correct. Um, I wonder if that's because like the gap now between the East and the West, if you will, is because the West went through this liberation phase. Like people became much more sexually open about what they like. Um, and maybe China didn't go through that. So right. we're still a little bit more conservative. Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. So for the interest of time, I want to move to the next section, which is higher education. And uh, I want to start with a pop quiz. So make a guess. In China, for people who are 25 years older, what is the percentage who have a college degree. Mm, yeah, make a guess. It's a trick I would question. guess 75%. Scott. 30%. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Uh, reveal, it's 4%. Four? Four. Yes. I was off a little bit. By, yeah. <laughs> by an 4%. order of magnitude. What's that? <laughs> and then uh, another data point. What's, what's we that? don't learn about China. What's the same percentage uh, for U.S.? 20-something percent, I would guess, 20, 20 to 30%. Over 40. 25 years yeah. old. Yeah. Maybe around 40. Higher. Higher than 4%. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Go Definitely. We were answer. told that if we didn't go take to Take an over or under, I take the over. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's actually around 42% nowadays. So... Uh, so another interesting thing on top of this is if we I'm zoom in. I'm still listening if I step out yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. If we zoom in into the population who is uh, 25 to 35 years old, so, so basically educated last decade, uh, what's that percentage for China and the U.S.? Make a guess. The last Ooh, decade? Yeah. So that was Rita. <laughs> All right, don't check the internet, by the way. I'm not, I'm don't, not, I'm don't, not. Don't cheat. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh. Your Fif- reputation of educator is on the line, by the way. Oh, okay, what is it again? What is it again? <laughs> For people who to- are 25 to 35 years old, uh, Chinese people, uh, who are people with, what's the percentage with a mm-hmm. college degree? Okay, 25 to 30. I would guess, uh, if we're going more, 15%. Okay. How about U.S.? 
I guess 55%. Okay. Okay. Cool. So very interestingly, so like I mentioned, uh, for anyone that's 25 years older, uh, China is at 4%, right? Mm -hmm. US is at 42, 43%. Mm -hmm. Um, for Which I got basically right. I want to yeah, just, sure, yeah, that sure. one I almost, yeah, I was basically yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, only 10 times off. Um, for people who are. No, the, 20, the American one, the American right, one. Right, American one, yeah. Okay. 20, 25 to 35, though, so last decade, the US dropped to 40%. Okay. But the China increased to 28%. Wow. Right. So I think that's just a very, uh, first of all, that's a very interesting data point. Uh, that kind yeah. of tells me that uh, the, uh, Chinese people are paying more and more attention, uh, and because you know they're more affluent now, uh, they are shifting resources <laughs> to higher education much more. Uh, and in, me in the meantime, the U.S. has a decline in college education. That doesn't mean yes, and I, yes, yeah. and I, I think I have an idea of why. Right. And and that is because the increase that's happened so substantially where people have right. accumulated debt or not graduated or private right. universities have come up who are spending more on branding than teaching have left a lot of people reeling from their commitment to higher ed or the job right. market's not great. And they realize actually the skills like, you know, the fact that China can do very well. It's not about college educated. It's about finding a means that can pay for your quality of life. Right. Uh, it doesn't have, doesn't mean college. But I think the American dream narrative that happened over the last couple of decades was you have to have a college degree right. if you are to succeed. And also middle class is waning here. And so lower skill or if you want to call them that, but I don't like calling them that, but like lower wage labor yeah. is something that people will be seeing themselves doing more because those middle-class jobs or the jobs that pay more are uh, fewer and fur between, unless you're highly skilled in like programming or other industries that are right. high demand. Yeah. So 4% is actually at the uh, somewhere around 90, I think last time I checked, 1920. That's when the U.S. is around 4% for uh, college wow. for 25 is older. It's like 100 uh, years ago. Yeah. And uh, that's increased to 20-some percent around, I think, 90-70-something. You mean uh, in, in China? No, no, no. In the U.S. In the so, U.S. Right. Yeah. In 1920, there was 4%, right? And it increased to 20-some percent after like 70-something years, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. And that essentially happened much quickly, much more quickly uh, in China. Um, anyhow, I, oh, I just think that's well, a very yeah. interesting data point to, to share with you guys. It's change. It's a lot of change yeah. quickly. Yeah. And on top of that, I want to ask, like I said, I really want to get into the what we call the deep questions is actually the section we uh, many want to discuss about. So just really quickly for this topic, we, mm -hmm. we touched upon the affordability uh, for high, higher education. Yeah. So how does that look like in the U.S.? Unaffordable. Okay. I mean... I mean, we it, are all educated, uh, educated uh, yes. in the U.S., right? So how, how, do we, how did you pull that off if it's unaffordable? Scott and I, again, privileged, you know, educated parents who were – had my, my parents didn't have generational wealth, but they were able to – you know, for them, it was like, if I can pay for our kids' schools, we're right. good. And that's what yeah. they did, um, right. which – thanks, mom and dad, seriously. Uh, I, I paid for Harvard, my master's, uh, you know, and I'm in debt now. Right. Right. About 55 grand. 
for one year. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of money. Awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of money. And, uh, you know, people are like, why isn't it, you know, two year program to get a master's? And Harvard's like, well, because we can't charge you a hundred grand to be right. in education. Right. Right. So uh, it's, you know, it, again, you can get scholarship. Like what is the, what is this, what's the field out there? Like, you know, you can get scholarships right. if you're lucky, you can, you know, people, but most people rely on financial aid. You can go to a community college. Those will be more affordable. Uh, and you can learn certain, you know, like you can be technicians there. There's other, there's like real skills you can learn in community colleges. But if you're going right. to a four-year university, unless you're on a full ride scholarship for academics or for athletics, which I right. feel like are kind of the two or arts, maybe right. uh, depending on your school, you are looking at, you are looking at a very normalized system of college debt. Like you right. are walking into thousands of students who are like, yep, we're all going in debt in right. order to be more viable on the job, job market uh, right. and to be more competitive. So it's normal here to, Assume debt. you will be in debt when you are 22, 25. Very interesting. However, uh, absolutely. It is it is par yeah. for the course and it has exceeded credit card debt. Uh, right. From the last time I checked, it has exceeded credit card debt in the U.S. What's the which rate? is crazy because we're so consumer driven as well. What's the rate for uh, a college or is it called college uh, tuition? Debt tuition. Yeah. And that varies so greatly based on the school. Not, not, but not, I, not the tuition. I mean, the if you if you were gonna take out some debt, what's the uh, the the interest rate? Oh, six. Something. My loans that, are about that varies. six percent. Yeah, that okay. varies. Six percent. Mine are my interest rate right high. now is is six percent. Yeah, that's for an unsubsidized high. loan. Yeah. Wait, that's more than mortgage. What yes, our mortgage is two percent. <laughs> Jesus, that's crazy. <laughs> so it's profitable. Okay. Yeah. So Hanson, as an international student, right. uh, went to U.S. for college mm -hmm. education. How did you afford it? Uh, or just um, because you're rich? No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. My, my parents uh, realized the importance of education. Yeah. Um, tiny anecdote there. My, when my dad told his brother that he was going to send me to the U.S. to go to school, yeah. his brother said, and I quote, have you gone mad? Right. Because that costs so much money. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, the income level in general in China is still several times lower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So paying for U.S. school was crazy. But uh, my parents were able to save up quite a bit and cover my education cost, uh, thankfully. Uh, and also, I was lucky enough to get more than half of my tuition covered with a grant uh, when I right. when I right. was accepted. Yep. So otherwise, I don't think my parents would have been able to uh, pay for the full price. Full, with no, full price. Yeah. With no yep. grant or financial aid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have some experience. Uh, the audiences uh, had to like put this in, in perspective. Like, there is uh, U.S. dollars do more valuable uh, than the Chinese yuan, especially I think eight years ago, right? Mm -hmm. It was yep. at, at the at the uh, the height of the exchange rates. It's like one U.S. dollar is eight eight RMB, I think something created like that. Yep. Uh, when we were younger, um, so uh, not every single Chinese family can afford could afford it, especially, I, mean, I think in general, the uh, Chinese middle class is grown richer and richer. So nowadays it's more common to send your kid uh, overseas for education, but uh, especially a generation before us, it's unimaginable to afford that on your own. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very, I had very similar experience uh, as Hanson, I get you know half 
essentially half discount for for, mm-hmm. um, for my first. I, I went to two colleges, right? I transferred to another college. I got a uh, full ride for the for my second college, mm-hmm. like my, my nice, second degree. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I can speak to uh, to Ch- uh, in terms of China. I think it's much more affordable. Uh, the tuition is much lower. If you can get into uh, a, col- a college, there is. Um, I think there is pretty much known interest rate loans from the government mm-hmm. uh, set up for uh, people who qualified. Uh, and it's not very hard to get qualified, actually. Um, That's and, nice. <laughs> uh, Can I ask a question, see? Yeah. Ian Hansen. So if the, I mean, obviously there must, there exists a perception that the, uh, what you're getting from a U.S., or an international college is of greater value. Um, is that, and especially if you're you're paying so much less to go to even one of the prestigious Chinese universities, is that still accurate? Hmm. Uh, do you want me? I can go first, I guess. Sure. Uh, I think that's definitely true. If you asked me this question ten years ago. Uh, there is a very, I think, uh, a broad consensus that the Western colleges, especially U.S. colleges, are with higher qualities. Uh, mm. I think nowadays that's changing, mm-hmm. uh, especially in STEM fields. Uh, there are a lot of mm. <clears throat> lot of Chinese schools are, uh, I think, improve their um, uh, reputations uh, in in both academic areas and also uh, finding a job. And I think that's that perception is changing for for STEM fields, uh, but I would also argue that uh, in general, um, people still think that uh, the uh, U.S. colleges with higher quality. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I want to also put into the context of usually people who went abroad for study are people with more privileges, right? Mm-hmm. And they have a bias uh, towards. Mm-hmm getting a more Western, Western. or liberal edu- yeah, sure. education, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that may uh, mean. <laughs> but, yep. Yeah. Yeah, I would second that. Um, for the most part, I think, at least growing up in China, the perception is that uh, Western education, especially the U.S., I think is known to have some of the best schools in the, in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. When it comes to having the biggest collection of the best schools, it's the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. There are other schools out there like Cambridge University, uh, yeah. in the UK, right. right? There's a few schools that are really good in other countries, but like the U S has thousands of universities and dozens mm-hmm. that are like world renowned. Right. Yep. Um, and C touched on this. There are, I think kind of two stereotypical groups of Chinese students that come to the U S there's a small group of just very talented and hardworking and frankly, lucky students that got a full ride to come to the U S and they, you know, their family would have never been able to afford any portion of that education yeah. uh, and they tend to be overrepresented in media because I mean right. who doesn't like an underdog story absolutely right, of, uh, uh, mountain village kid going to Harvard and right. then the US can feel better about itself too <laughs> right yeah. everybody likes to report I'm so stories. cynical about that right yeah look no, at us we're, we're all so pretty kind. cynical people here yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's the uh, a large group uh, I guess seed and I are kind of in between our families are uh, I can't speak for seat. My family isn't re- rich. They're middle class. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm so rich, know. man. Uh, so rich. <laughs> uh, but they, they could. They were privileged enough 
to put me through school with half tuition, right? That's not something that every family could afford. Yeah. Uh, and then you have a group of students, I guess there are really three groups, um, that are just uber rich. And going right. abroad sometimes is their escape from the Chinese Gaokao system. Yeah. Mm. I know many mm -hmm. kids that are like, oh, this is hellish. This is too stressful. Years of test prep. Um, you know, their parents will say, well, what are our options? If we push our son or daughter through this system, it's going to be painful for them. And they might go to a mediocre school because their test score is just not that good. But we got money. So we could send them to any we can pay an agency to package our kid up, uh, make a good application, and send them abroad to any school, right? Mm -hmm. right? And hope that that's, um, I guess, there used to be a saying in China, it's kind of like dujin. It's kind of like uh, right. you're plating your kid in gold. So right. just to give him this surface uh, of, of high value, this appearance yeah. of higher value and that'll uh, be abroad folks come in because of the narrative in the u.s like well if the chinese kids are coming they're super smart they're super you know and they're going to add a lot to right you know so then they do kind of get to be plated in gold a bit just from the standard of well we're from a different you know hemisphere and you don't <laughs> know anything about us or our lives right so <laughs> the americans are like oh yeah, I mean, just in case you guys didn't figure out, there's a lot of dumb Chinese people out there. I have not figured uh, that out yet. I, I'm, I, we are probably two of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the dumbest. Yeah, but I would also add one more point, uh, Scott, to, to your question, that education is not just about getting the knowledge, right? It's also about getting a different perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, uh, even though, even in the case where we say, you know, two... Schools, say Tsinghua or, or Beijing University, right, has a very good STEM program compared to, say, Stanford, right? Mm -hmm. Say, assume it's not probably not equal. Assuming they are, you know, similar qualities, I will also say a Chinese student who went to Stanford gained a different perspective. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, just being like, you know, communicating English, uh, exchange ideas with people from different backgrounds. Uh, yeah, that's oh, yeah. just more valuable. Uh, that's also improving in China, where you know there are also a lot of ex uh, exchange students or foreign students uh, went to China for study. Uh, but I would say nowadays uh, the U.S. colleges do more diverse, uh, mm -hmm. which is also another topic we can get into whether it's real diversity or not. But mm -hmm. there are a lot of people from different backgrounds, at least. Yeah, and, if you and professors out, is even yeah. too, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's also another point on to on to add. So now we have a good handle on the higher education system in both countries. Let's dive into some even deeper questions. So let's start with what is actually the purpose of education? Right. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, no, there's a lot of, there's a lot of angles so, to it. Great uh, question. Yeah. Why like does from, it exist? Yeah. From my perspective, right. I went to, uh, both Hans and I went to, uh, uh, went through the Chinese education system all the way to college and then went here for college. Um, from my perspective, I think the U.S. is definitely biased to, towards a more elitist approach. So let's allocate the resources to the top, mm -hmm. top 1%. And with that resources, the smartest, uh, hopefully the smartest, uh, the most intelligent uh, will create something exceptional, right? Mm -hmm. And the rest of them will benefit. Yes. But in China, it's much more flat in terms of they want lift up everyone to the same standard, uh, right? Everybody has to get uh, ha has to get a nice education in physics, uh, in math, in Chinese, and in English, right? Even though they probably will never use it again after they graduate, mm -hmm. but you have to nurture it. Um, 
And that's a very, uh, what's the, what's the word that's not elitist? I don't know. What's that word? Populist. Egalitarian. Egalitarian. Sure. Egalitarian approach to education, mm-hmm. right? And that. Or socialistic. Behi- yeah. Right. Socialistic, sure. And behind that, it's two philosophies, right? Uh, for some people, yes. edu- education is, is about making the best even better, right? Uh, for, for the more socialistic approach, it's about lifting up everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody has this education so they can live a better life uh, in general. So from your perspective, what is actually the purpose of education or what should be the purpose of education? I, I mean, you're touching up on kind of what I think is the biggest elephant in the room when it comes to education policy and uh, the institution in the U.S. When, it, when we talk about people who are making decisions about how school policies are going, district policies and state, because I think there are two camps. One believes, oh, you know, when we see that inequality has, has increased and we see folks are in debt and that the jobs aren't there and people are still in, in you know, kind of low wage labor, well, what's happening? And there's one camp that says that the system is broken. You know, there's something about it that's just not working right anymore. Maybe it used to work, but it doesn't now. And then there's a camp of people, the camp I'm in, that say it's working exactly like it's supposed to be working. And that is to sort and label people. Um, To your point about the elitist, right? Not everyone can rise to be a hedge fund, a billionaire, a CEO. So we can't, in the US, we like to have a narrative of social mobility and following the American dream. But when you get to such a decentralized system, it's actually every man or every family out for themselves. So, Mm. you know, it's the same where you have US families will move to a better school, right? You know, de facto segregation. It's the same. It's it's, all if this school is better than that school, uh, I'm moving, right? And now you have with, with the U.S. history, it's it's a history of different types of people. So you will have city schools versus rural schools versus suburban schools. And depending on where people are paying higher property taxes, their schools will be better resourced. They might have better test scores. They'll get into better colleges. So if schools were truly egalitarian or if they were truly vehicles of social mobility, then mm-hmm. they would not be left to their own devices. They would be a more centralized system that would fund schools more equally. And, you know, teachers would be uh, set, you know, they would be scattered around lots of different schools, like quality teachers would be in lots of different schools because they would have working conditions that were fairly uh, equal across the board, no matter right. what community they worked at. That is not how the U.S. system is. Yeah. And if you look at the history of the U.S. system, uh, I would say the purpose of schooling is threefold. It's assimilation. So yeah. understand our cultures, understand America is the best. Mm. Uh, two, it uh, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two uh, <laughs> it is figure out what you are going to do after. And uh, if it's, if you rise to the top, you can yeah. tell, you know, you can thank the school system. If it's the bottom, it's your fault. Yeah. Uh, and then the third, uh, I would say about the purpose of schooling that I ideally would want to see is uh, a civic minded, kind of like John Dewey, you know, sort of a, a Western yeah. thinker who was very much all about whether we could, if we could truly put people into schools that would criticize and understand critical consciousness would be able to make their own, uh, you know, own text into reality. They'd be able to see what their life is like. They would be the experts of their, you know, when you called me an expert, it's like, actually, that's very nice. 
if you think about it, we're all experts of what has happened in our life and our experiences. And there are forward thinkers in education who want to believe that we don't have to have a banking model of education. We don't have to put people into the same rows or tests um, and that it's their realities that should be the curriculum um, and should be what they actually poke at and think about and critique and talk about. And that's a Frarian, that's Apollo Frere kind of, you know, pedagogy of the oppressed. That's that kind of that kind of school that he had with Brazilians who couldn't read. Hmm. Uh, And, you know, I, 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 I genuinely believe as someone who taught high school for five years and who studied policy that the U S school system has done such a good job lying to everybody that, that it's, that it really cares. Um, And I would say public school educators really care. And that's why you have a kind of a messed up system because you have the teachers and the principals in the schools who are doing their absolute most they can with the resources they have. And they do believe in students and they do believe in having a public education, meaning whoever shows up is who you deal with. You know, it was a beautiful thing to be a teacher for that reason. It was hard. Uh, Mm. But you, you know, the, the ideal here is no matter who you are, you deserve an education. And I'm a teacher who's going to be here for, to give it to you. But in reality, it's, we're so set segregated. Our histories are so unequal. Uh, Our resources are mined to the top, as you said. Uh, And we're all left to our own nuclear family, what our nuclear family can provide for us. You know, social safety nets and social services are fewer and fewer and fewer. We have an updated minimum wage in like, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Um, And it's just, you know, so if I really to get into it, the purpose of schooling depends on what community you're from. And and sometimes it's to test you and to get you labeled and sorted into low wage. And other times it's to put you on the top. And it depends on where you're from and who your parents are. And that's the unfortunate circumstance of where American schooling is failing. Right. So that's a very bleak picture. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> so what's uh, sorry? Uh, <laughs> Lots I, I of do, people care. <laughs> no, I do have some question on that, but before that, I, I want to hear what uh, Hanson and Scott uh, thoughts on this. No, I I actually uh, agree with Rita on a lot of the things she said. Um, to me, if you take a step back, what is education? I don't define it as just school. Uh, I'm still being educated. I'm still taking. Uh, classes outside of work to better myself. Um, I read books. uh, And you could argue that doing work that's challenging is also education. We're all learning. If education is just about learning, then it's a very broad definition. And talking to people, right? Even this podcast. What you guys are doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. So broadly speaking, uh, my current thinking is that education is a means of preparation. It's a means of preparing you for something. So what is that something? Well, regardless of the system, Broadly speaking, you want to produce people that could make a functional society. Right. Right. Very broadly speaking, that's kind of the goal. That's why every type of education involves some degree of what I would consider um, ideological installation. Like it installs this value system that binds a society together. It installs this narrative, this story of who you are. Yeah. What defines you? Is it a common God? A flag? a particular line someone drew on a map. Mm-hmm. It's all something that is arguably arbitrary, but you need to bind people at a young age while they're still malleable so that they can form a complex society. Right. Because they all believe the story. So that's one aspect of education that people yeah. teach different stories, but everyone has some story. Uh, another aspect is you want them to be productive members of society. Just because you have everyone be pious followers of whatever ideology you peddle doesn't make them useful. They need mm-hmm. to be able to produce. 
feed themselves and more importantly, feed you, whoever's at the top making the rules, right? Mm. Now, how do you do that? Well, today you're seeing more and more emphasis on STEM education. It's the simple fact that there's money in STEM, right? Like right. there's a lot of breakthroughs happening. So we want more and more people to be prepped, to be programmers, to be engineers. Um, so making them productive, I think is another uh, purpose of education. Right. Um, and finally, I would like to believe that education is a vehicle of social mobility. Uh, yep. Social stratification is a problem that happens everywhere. Uh, yep. And I think we live in a time where, uh, at least in my understanding, it's perhaps the worst it's been in a while in a lot of countries. In the US, in China, in India, uh, the data is quite damning. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, and we can get into that conversation. I think there is underlying reasons for that, right? But I think it's important uh, for education to be a fresh start because education is something that it's the first thing you know as a child. It's like the first system you go through uh, before you start working and everything else. Mm -hmm. And it really is, if you are an egalitarian person, you believe in equality and you believe that essentially the American dream that doesn't matter who you are. If yeah, you are talented, you're hardworking, you should have a chance at becoming nobility. I'm using that word very broadly here, right? Yeah. You should have a chance to make it to an upper class, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I, I believe that, that there is a necessity for it because otherwise we'd fall into a, a system where the rich become richer and the poor become poorer, and there's very little opportunity for people to move around. Yeah, that's very yeah. elegantly put. I think. Yes. Uh, I think uh, Rita and Hansen kind of touched upon both on the societal level and personal level what you know education is for them. Uh, I guess one one just one more thing I would add is Hansen mentioned uh, education is about at a personal level about prepare you for something, whatever mm -hmm. that something is. I would also hope. Um, Education is also about helping you to find that something, that passion can drive you towards something great. So in a way, I think um, education is about self-expression. It's about creating those accidents that um, eventually drives breakthroughs, right? If you look at how a lot of scientific breakthroughs are made, they're all from accidents, right? Literally, how we found the panacea uh, were through accidents. So maybe education is also about creating those accidents at a personal level. So I think we realize that there are a lot of purposes uh, under the word education, some societal, some personal. But one thing we can agree on is the current education system is probably not doing what we wanted at least not to 100%. So in the age of technology and modernization, how do we modernize this, this thing called education mm -hmm. to really getting closer to the true purpose? Yeah, I, I think others can probably speak on modernizing in terms of the technical aspect, but I, when I think about how cynical I sounded just previously, I want to go <laughs> for a moment and back to, I believe deeply in public education uh, right. in terms of a, not just a vehicle for all we, what we talked about, which it is, but also as a place to invest and to have a robust industry and institution where people work in it. Uh, students are, or kids are feeling like they are 
evolving themselves in it. Uh, mm. We pay we pay a lot for it, meaning like we invest our money, our time as a community into what schools can do and can be. Um, you know, now it's like teachers don't get paid a lot, like it's a hard job and nobody and there isn't that kind of investment. It's not like an exciting place to be for adults. Right right? It's a place where you work a couple of years, like I, you burn out, you go to policy and you realize, why am I burning out? And then you don't have any answers even after you get a master's uh, right. because you believe it's a cultural reason why this, why there's so little sort of care, I would say, kind of political will wise in so, schools. So, uh, sorry to interrupt, but would you say you think the future of education still lies in public education? You, I do. You, you think we should still uh, no matter how broken it is, uh, there is still hope to make it better. Uh, with Thank system. you. Is that, that is, that, that is, that you, is uh... I, it's what I want. Uh, right. the, it's what I, it's what I deeply believe if our cult, like in the U S especially, you know, our culture is very much, it's about the individual, the nuclear family. It is, you know, self-sufficiency. Yeah. I would love, I would love a cultural mind shift to believe actually, if we put a lot of energy and time, if people within their many family institutions put a lot of time into what these greater institutions could mean for them in their lives, specifically right. governance and education, then it would be a robust institution. Modernizing it again, for me would mean like different, you know, we would do away with the technical parts of school, like the, you know, disciplines being separate. Like, you know, you have these really strict schedules you abide by, you'd have more opportunities for internships, you would maybe not have letter grades because every teacher letter grades differently. So there would be a more like an actual more, uh, I would say, uh, a more accurate way to kind of define how students are doing and where they're going and where they want to be, you know, a personalized system, like you said, you know, you mentioned that you may have had with your dad, I would love a more personalized system in the in, but what would that require, it would require educators to be a true profession, it would it would require people to be making way more money for us to put way more money into schools. And I know people say, Oh, that's not the answer. It is when you have 35 students in a class, and you should have 15. What does that mean more teachers? What does more teachers mean more money? So I after studying education and being in the system and feeling like, yeah, maybe my ex, you know, I have a slight expertise in it. My yeah. answer is we need to throw money at schools. Right. And, I, and I'm right. tired of the argument that we don't or we shouldn't. And that's yeah. where I stand. And that's might be my most controversial topic is like that could be where I, I, you know, people in the ed sphere will say, oh, uh, that's so not thought through. You need this. But it's what program is it? What test is it? No. Throw money at schools and put and make the profession of teaching an attractive profession for people to want to be in, to invest in, and to be able to do. Right. Right. So throw money at retail. No, no. That's yes. Cool. Throw money uh, at retail. Please. I have $50,000 uh, of debt from Harvard. Thanks, Harvard. Do you have a GoFundMe? We should plug the link. <laughs> yeah, can we plug it? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. No, so that's a very interesting argument. Uh, kind of reinvent from the inside uh, yes. and just make this current education system better. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what do you think, Hanson? Do you think that's the answer? Um, I think that the answer is going to vary, obviously, by society, right? Yeah. Um, this is going to be a pretty half-baked answer from my end because, frankly, I don't think of education a lot uh, yeah. on a daily basis. Um, but the way I see it is the world is changing, right? The demands of what a productive and happy constituent of a society looks like is changing uh, a few things that are looming on the the horizon are you know automation 
yep. globalization. Uh, things are things are not going to be the same, and I think it's important for education to anticipate those changes, um, and deliver people, if you will, if you see people as a product on a macro level, deliver people that are able to adapt to those new times. Uh, arguably, a lot of social problems of today are educational problems of yesterday. Um, people are ill prepared for the time we live in, and they're left to they feel left behind. Right? We can talk about all the people that lost their manufacturing jobs uh, that may not be prepared, whether through their uh, mindset or resources, to re-educate themselves and readapt uh, yeah. to something better. So I think one part of the job of education is to anticipate the future and try mm -hmm. to deliver the right thing. Uh, right. And in this day and age, uh, that may mean, I frankly don't really know what that would look like, but I would say a heavier emphasis on STEM seems like a safe bet. Uh, even if you're not going to work as an engineer, someone technical, I think is very beneficial for you to understand how the sausage is made, right? Um, another aspect of it is, I think, ideologically, because education is where ideology kind of happens, uh, or ideology is first instilled in people, I personally think, and this may be controversial, I personally think it's important to instill a forward-looking ideology. Um, so there are a lot of brands of conservatism, essentially the idea that there is an ideal state that the, the society used to be in, and we want to make it great again. Right. Right. And I, I think that is uh, unhelpful uh, in general because the world is changing. You can't stop it. To want to go back to the past is how most empire, empires fall. Um, look at China. Look at Japan. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of other countries where and the U.S. And I hope it doesn't repeat history. Right. But uh, always does. There are a lot of examples of countries and cultures closing themselves up because they feel threatened, because they felt that it's important to close their doors and protect their own way of life, ideology, whatever it might be. Generally, it does not end well. Generally, that's a sign of weakness. Uh, so in my mind, the ideology needs to be more open and, and forward looking. What will the world look like? Don't try to resist it. Change. Embrace it. And I think that's the best thing we can do for our next generation. Um, I love that. Thanks. So well said. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, just uh, comment a little bit on the conservative point. Mm -hmm. uh, I do agree that, um, you know, the, it'd be good to kind of import the future into the current through education. Mm -hmm. um, I would also argue that uh, I don't think I'm a conservative, at least not in the <laughs> definition of U.S., uh, but I do think there is benefit to conserve uh, the values to be continuous, right? Like I'm Chinese. What does it even mean, right? The education is going to tell me what that means through teaching me the history of China uh, mm -hmm. that I identify with, right? That might be literature, that might be history, uh, that might, might be a poem I read that resonated with me, right? So what to be conserved is also part of the job, I think, for education, mm -hmm. besides the, the, the forward-looking part. Um, yeah. So, Scott, uh, what do you think? How do we how do we solve this problem using your expertise in uh, engineering? How do we modernize this thing? Oh, I don't know about modernizing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think to what Hanson said about just instilling lifelong learning, I think that's probably the most important thing. Like, regardless of what you obviously, there are things that everybody needs to learn, but uh, I think what is most important is just getting people 
excited to learn something, whatever it is. Right. And to, to create that practice. So people Mm -hmm. want to at least learn something afterwards. doesn't matter what it is. Um, but to get them excited as a, as a youth, as a kid to learn. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, no answers, but lots of good questions. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys for, I could talk. I mean, we can do another episode if you want about education (laughs) again. I mean, I'm, I'm down to talk more about, because I think it's baked into cultural, you know, when you say talk about education, you're talking about everything. You're talking about what we think a workforce is, how we think we should raise kids.